0: And so I think investors themselves are still trying to sort out who's going to be the winners and the losers out of this and how long it's going to take to see some of these winners bounce back.
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. In today's episode, Mark Race, Chris McKinney, and Matt Montemuro cover the entire breadth and depth of your portfolios, from equities to fixed income, gold to REITs. And with prominent tech CEOs appearing before the U.S. Congress, our experts take a deeper look at the underlying companies held within the BMO NASDAQ 100 Equity Index ETF, ticker ZNQ. How much regulatory risk do these companies face? What impact could antitrust action have on asset prices? You are about to find out. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Enjoy the episode.
2: Hello. Hello. I'm your host, Mark Rays, I'm the head of product for GAM Canada, covering ETFs and mutual funds. We are joined today by Chris McCaney and Matt Montemiro, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Chris focuses on equities and derivative strategies, while Matt focuses on the fixed income side. But of course, uh, both are quite familiar across the shelf. So thank you, Chris and Matt, for joining us this morning. So let's dive uh, dive right into things. Certainly got an interesting period right now with earnings, with with hearings on Capitol Hill, and of course everything that's going on in the U.S. with COVID-19. We're seeing further stimulus activity from the U.S., which just makes it that much harder to focus on company fundamentals. However, with the earnings season in play, We were certainly expected to get shocked by the numbers this quarter. How are earnings playing out? How is market sentiment responding? And how do you see the ETF flows reacting to this most recent financial information? I'll give that to Chris. Thanks.
0: Sure. And as you say, um, we, we were expecting to get shocked coming into this earnings season, obviously Q2. Um, probably the the low point uh, in terms of earnings, in terms of economic activity in general. Um, And so I think, you know, it it has been kind of hard to read what some of these companies are putting out, um, simply because the numbers, you know, to the negative in most cases are are so huge. um, And it doesn't necessarily indicate what's going to happen going forward in some cases. Um, So, you know, to that extent, it has been so far at least a bit of a mixed bag uh, in terms of earnings season, uh, you know, it kind of started out uh, in mid-July. One of the bigger headline uh, earnings was was from Tesla, um, which recorded a profit um, from in, uh, under Gap uh, for a fourth straight quarter, which potentially leads to their inclusion into the S and P 500, uh, which is what a lot of uh, investors were were keeping an eye on. That is sort of the the final rule, so to speak, that they needed to satisfy in order to be eligible for inclusion into the S&P 500. And so now it's up to the index committee um, that that sets that index as to when or if to uh, include uh, Tesla into that. But it it was a little bit um, surprising and and pretty impressive, actually, that they they were able to record a profit um, in a quarter where about six weeks um, you know their their manufacturing facilities were closed, um, so that kind of led off with a, with a bit of a positive news. Um, on the negative side, um, just following that or, or around the same time, you know Netflix reported actually significant user growth uh, in the second quarter as most people are staying at home um, and then signing up for Netflix to uh, to pass the time. Um, but their forward guidance um, was was a bit negative or less than what the market was looking for because, you know, they expected that a lot of uh, what they thought were going to be future um, users signing up, you know, all got pushed up into Q2. And so they reported higher numbers in Q2 and expecting much lower numbers going forward. And so, you know, the market punished them for that a little bit. Um, elsewhere, we, we've seen, again, on the negative side, Intel more recently, um, really just disappointing the market with their lack of production on on their new uh, semiconductor, just not able to get that going. And really, that's been the hallmark of Intel over the years is the ability to design and, and manufacture chips at the same time. Um, and it's looking like going forward, they might not be able to do that. Um, so really, just completely complete disappointment there from Intel. Um, While on the opposite side, AMD uh, firing on all cylinders and looking to take even more market share from them. And so even within sectors, you're seeing the the positive and the negative um, from some companies. Um, Also out more recently with Starbucks, um, same source sales at Starbucks were down 40%. And so these are some of the big numbers I was talking about. You know, same source sales down 40% is just an absolute Terrible number, but the market was expecting even worse, um, and so you know Starbucks is looking to get a, a bit of a lift here. Um, so again, it's hard to divine um, how bad things were and how how much better they're going to get, um, and it does depend even within sectors. Um, you know, some companies are more immune than others, or or doing better than others. So um, yeah, it's extremely difficult to still get a handle on, and I think um, you kind of see that in the, in the flows, um, in the ETF flows, we're seeing a lot of, we are still seeing a lot of money going into equities, but it's broad market equities, you know, S and P 500. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of financials, um, in there as well. Some NASDAQ, um, in terms of where the money's flowing, but it is generally the broad markets when it comes to equities. Um, and in fixed income, it's, it's either aggregate bonds or, for the short-term, uh, you know, cash-like uh, investments like the HISA accounts or, or, or short-term bonds, and so I think investors themselves are still trying to sort out who's going to be the winners and the losers out of this, and how long it's going to take to see some of these winners bounce back.
2: Um, I think it's still, to this point, un- unclear. Great, thanks for that, Chris. It's a, it's a really good summary and. I think what's so interesting about this is because we were really expecting the worst, anything at all north of that actually gets a gets a positive reaction. So the new economy companies certainly been the, the clear leaders in the market recovery. But now we have the big anti uh the big tech antitrust uh hearing today on Capitol Hill. What do you expect to see out of the out of the hearing? What's the word on the street on this? Um and how could that really impact these economic leaders? When you take that all together, how would you relate that to an ETF trade idea? Um, go to go to Chris again. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Martin. Yeah, it definitely is a big week uh, for these tech companies. You know, also speaking about earnings, um, these these big four companies that are gonna be in Washington today are all uh, reporting their earnings tomorrow as well, so you know between what we're going to see today and then earnings coming out tomorrow, um, there could potentially be some big moves in these companies. Um, and, and just just so everyone's aware, there are there are four CEOs um, to testify in, in front of the uh, antitrust committee today. Um, the CEOs from Apple, Facebook, uh, Alphabet slash Google, and Amazon. Um, notably for the first time Jeff Bezos making an appearance in in Washington in front of, uh, in front of Congress. So, um, you know, really what they're going to be focusing on here is potential antitrust issues. As you say, there's been a lot of talk with social media and these tech companies around privacy of data around disinformation spreading on their platforms and things like that. And, and how that might be regulated, but really for the most part, um, that, you know, that might get brought up a little bit um, today, but for the most part, um, really, they're going to be focusing on antitrust or anti-competitive behaviors that these companies are potentially engaging in. And although it's the same topic, it's really different for each of these four companies. So, you know, for Apple, expect them to get um question on their app store policies, you know, A, the amount of money they take from app developers for any purchase made through that apple app store or or through apple apps Um, the amount of money apple takes as well as the placement of those apps within the app store itself um with with facebook it's about their collection of apps and you know even though it happened several years ago you know buying what they viewed as a competitor in instagram um you know not necessarily Um, what's allowed under antitrust laws in the U.S. is buying your competitors to avoid competition. Um, And with Google or Alphabet, uh, it's the placement of search ads and how they favor certain companies over others and if they favor their own apps and their own websites over others uh, when they return search search results to, to people. And then through Amazon, which could be the most interesting here, it's their relationship with third-party sellers on their platforms. And you know what, what we've seen recently is Amazon taking data from these third-party sellers and then developing their own sort of white label products to sell on the platform as well. So taking advantage of data from other uh, providers in order to uh, push their own goods through their own, through their own store. So those are gonna be the, the majority of questions, I think, in terms of what these companies are gonna be seeing. You know, I don't know if there will be much to actually come out of this um, going forward, but again, it's I don't think there'll be much related to the privacy or disinformation aspect. It'll be more about, um, you know, these anti-competitive behaviors potentially. And if there is regulation that comes out of it, um, you know, particularly with Amazon, you could see, you know, a little bit of a uh, potential negative uh, headwind for them, but. I think this is really just an information gathering stage. Um, Any sort of regulation or legislation will will be farther down the line. Um, And again, how that kind of ties into an ETF. Well, you know, these companies are increasingly um, dominating the large indexes. Uh, These four companies uh, make up about 35% of the uh, NASDAQ index. Uh, and about 16% of the overall S&P 500, which is supposed to be much broader, of course, um, in terms of its exposure. And so these companies, again, dominating these large indices. And so between what you see on Capital Hill today and then, uh, again, earnings tomorrow, uh, you know, if you're favorable on the outcome, you know, it makes sense to take a look at NASDAQ and, um, you know, maybe getting a position in there. As you might see a pop uh, after earnings, um, I think most of them are reporting after uh, the market, and so you, you would have to wait till Friday to see what the price action is going to be. Um, but um, you know, Nasdaq certainly makes a good place. You know, X, uh, Z, sorry, ZQQ or ZNQ are the two tickers we have hedged and unhedged. Um, and then also again, just the S and P five hundred. If you want a little bit broader, again, these companies make up about sixteen percent of the S and P five hundred. Uh, ZSP or ZUE for the hedge version of that could um, get the exposure to these companies. But also again. A bit broader, um, as these are maybe the bellwethers
2: um, and an indication of what's to come from other companies as well in terms of earnings. Great, thanks for that, Chris. And yeah, certainly an interesting, interesting week for these uh, mega mega cap giants here that uh, really are driving a lot of the market returns right now. So, a great opportunity for advisors uh, to make a play via the Nasdaq for sure.
1: You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying the episode, we encourage you to tune in to our Deep Dive series, where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM solutions. Our latest episode features the BMO Quality ETF Suite, a full complement of tools to help you access the best companies from around the world. For more information, please see the episode notes below. Uh,
2: Let's switch gears a little bit. Um, we're seeing a lot of cash parked on the sidelines as well, and high-interest savings account ETFs are, are collecting a lot of that flow. We seem to have some advisors looking to sit out the summer as the, the markets look more expensive now than they did pre-COVID, If if you're looking at underlying financials. At the same time, the yields have really cratered or come down in the short end. Can you give us a trade idea to put some of that money to work within the fixed income market or even beyond uh, without taking on excess risk? I'll pass it over to Matt. Thanks. Perfect.
3: Thanks, Mark. Uh, so with yields coming in as they have, and uh, as you mentioned, particularly in the short end, which has been impacted more so uh, than the rest of the curve, uh, investors have a difficult decision to make. Um, We see short corporate spreads uh, right now at around uh, pre-COVID tights for quality names, leading me to the question, you know, is there still value in in the short end of the curve? With the yield compression we've seen, I still see an opportunity to take advantage of a, what seems to be long-term low interest rate environment uh, by taking on some duration risk. There's only so much time uh, that you can just sit on the sidelines earning 20, 30, 40 basis points um, in your cash uh, while not causing a drag on your portfolio versus uh, versus your benchmark. So, you know, when you're looking at your overall portfolio, you know, it, it's, it's great to provide that protection, but at some point in time, you have to make the decision as an investor, you know, for the long term is 20, 30 basis points. going to cut it for for your end clients and and what your end client goals are. So for me, I I look at something like ZCM, so a mid-corporate bond ETF. So I I would move out the curve and take advantage of this low interest rate environment. Uh, Mid-term spreads have not been impacted as much as short-term spreads. So mid-term credit spreads remain about 20% wider than historical um, norms and 40% wider uh, to pre-COVID levels. So I still think there's room here for spread compression to take advantage um, of corporate bonds, get a little bit more yield, uh, take advantage of that low, low uh, interest rate environment and have some outperformance in your fixed income rather than just sitting on your hands. As well, by moving up the curve, uh, you can take advantage of the low rate environment. You've a six and a half year duration and the yield will get you about 2.1% so you know you're getting three four five times the yield of some of these cash products so i think this this exposure provides uh, upside performance potential uh, and a reasonable you know somewhat say high in this environment yield to ensure your portfolio uh, does not lag for for long uh, extended periods of time during uh, the remainder of 2020 and even into 2021 as we expect uh, low rates for you know potentially late into 2021. Another interesting option, which would uh, deviate a little bit from a fixed income, would be to look at some um, stability, uh, but whilst not sitting out of the market completely, would be looking at an asset allocation ETF, like ZEDCON, so a conservative, more conservative ETF. It's a balanced fund, uh, 60% fixed income, 40% equity, uh, which should provide you know, diversified exposure and protection on the downside with your fixed income while providing an equity kicker on the upside. So from a yield perspective, it's looking at a very attractive 2.67% yield. So you, know, you hit that yield bogey that, that you might be looking for, for for a higher yielding fixed income product. Um, again, you're getting moderate duration exposure to take advantage of our current low rates uh, while you're getting upside of, of global equity exposure. So that provides you some upside to ensure that you don't miss the next rally. I think that this is a, an interesting compliment um, and an exposure for those who do have concerns about volatility in the fall. But really, their clients can't afford to just sit out and sit on their hands earning 25 to 40 basis points for the remainder of the year. You know, that net of fees, you know, could be close to zero. So I look I look at that and say, you know, for a, for a low-cost asset allocation ETF, you can kind of put some of that to work. You know, have the downside protection of fixed income but also get an upside protect, or upside uh, advantage of taking advantage if equity markets continue to rally as they have. So I, I think just looking at a 60-40 balanced solution like Zedcon uh, could be a non-traditional way of thinking that your clients need right now in this environment.
2: Great, thanks for that, Matt. And a couple of really good ideas there. I think the the asset allocation one is an interesting one. You know, we're certainly seeing those start to take off in the ETF world. Uh, certainly a convenience trade. And I, and I think there's a huge opportunity for for advisors to use those types of products, uh, again, for convenience and nothing else. Let's switch to gold. Uh, certainly the hot trade right now, gold closing in on 2000. Uh, do you expect it to just keep rolling? Gold is now at Levels that now make the juniors uh, attractive to acquirers. Um, how do you see this impact going through our junior gold ETF, Zed JG, and where do you stand on a trade record between the seniors and juniors? If I bring said GD into play, With that to Chris, thanks.
0: Sure, and yeah, to the first part of the question, um, you know, most analysts here do expect gold uh, to. Continue its its ascent and, and likely pass the two thousand dollar mark um, over the next couple months. You know, anecdotally as well, there there tends to be a large seasonal factor um, with gold's performance. Also, there's still a question as to whether the the regular seasonals will um, you know take effect uh, this year, being such a different year than than others. But uh, August and September actually tends to be the strongest months for for gold price. Um you know historically anyway, and so you know there there's that sort of tailwind the technicals really line up as well for gold to continue, and most analysts now calling for it to get somewhere in the range of twenty three twenty four hundred um and that that could potentially be you know over a couple of years, but um you know in the short term um certainly uh again some tailwinds uh for for gold as well to to likely pass two thousand dollars in the near term um We've seen uh, if, if you just look sort of year to date, um, you know, gold up twenty twenty seven percent. About about half of that just uh, since June, so June and, and so far in July, uh, you've seen the gold producers or the gold miners uh, more than double that return. And we've talked about how in the past, um, you know, these producers really provide a natural leverage to the price of gold itself, um, and so you can typically have higher potential returns from from investing in the gold equities rather than the gold price itself. Um, you know, interestingly though so far the market has rewarded the seniors a bit more than the juniors. Um and so ZGB has actually outpaced uh zjg uh over again year to date and even in the shorter term as well. And so the market is really I think um you know rewarding those seniors a bit more and I think it's to your point that Um, You know, you could see some consolidation here. You could see some of these larger companies, um, you know, pick up a couple of these smaller companies um, because they have the cash flow and the balance sheet to do so. Uh, So that's, you know, obviously a potential. Of course, the higher the price of gold goes, um, the, the more expensive these junior companies become. And so you would have to, you would think that would start to take place, you know, in and around now over the next few months. Otherwise, if that gold price keeps going, you know, maybe those juniors actually get too too expensive. Um, and I guess it also depends on those companies' outlook for what gold's going to do going forward as to, you know, how much they're willing to outlay to, to increase their overall um, production also. And so it is interesting. We have seen, again, the seniors outperform the juniors so far. Um, you would think in this sort of environment, the juniors would have that higher leverage and would outperform, just have that sort of higher risk Um, potential to it and therefore the higher reward um, on on the upside, but we haven't seen that play out yet. And I think it's because, um, again, uh, investors really thinking or or just leaning more towards those senior producers that are probably a bit more well capitalized. Um, And there's still some question as to how the corporate debt market is going to be over the next year or two. Um, So if some of these juniors need to refinance, what's that going to look like? Um, You know, I think we're getting a little bit more comfortable on the corporate side, but um, there's probably still a little bit of concern there. And so, um, you know, what we're talking about is potentially very, very high returns out of some of these companies. And so maybe you wanted to stick with the the seniors, the more tried and true, the ZGD. Um, But again, if you do think that there's still a lot to go here and you're not really concerned about, Um, you know, that that potential financing aspect, the junior gold would have a a higher potential
2: overall return over over these next two years. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Certainly, the gold trade is uh, catching a lot of attention right now, and and the big question is how how much further it will continue to run. Now, just uh, one last quick one for me before we go to the lines. Been getting a lot of questions on on REITs and the fact that they just haven't uh, recovered to the same degree. Um, you know, when we think about office REITs, we just heard Google come out and say work from home until July 2021. 20, so you know, it feels like the new normal is, is just going to keep stretching out here. So then RE, our REIT CTF is getting pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, can you give us an update on your outlook between the office REITs and, and the diversification of the rest of the portfolio, which otherwise may may recover a little stronger. Thanks, Chris. Sure, and yeah, ZRE actually
0: is pretty well diversified across the type of REITs um, it has exposure to. Um, you know, my personal thought on the office REITs, um, again, this is just my personal thought, is that. You know, they they might not be as uh, there might not be as many headwinds as people expect with the whole work from home, um, um, you know, phenomenon that we're that we're seeing. And as you say, Google and potentially other companies as well coming out and just extending these work from home measures. Um, you know, largely a lot of that has to do with giving employees the flexibility um to work from home if they need to because of the uncertainty around schools and the school systems in all of North America and and what that's going to look like um and you know to the extent that if kids aren't in school um, parents can't go to work necessarily and so having some sort of flexibility there to to help with that um but if you do think about office REITs and what offices are going to look like um you know going forward um you know certain people will continue to work from home, others, others will go back to the office at some point. Um, but I don't think the footprint that a lot of companies take up will necessarily change that much um, because what what's going to be required is um, more space per person. you know, for example, you, you're you're not going to be able to pack as many people um, into an office space as you as you once were able to. Um, and so you might still need that full office space, but you're only going to fill it with half of your employees. So in terms of um, you know actual actual rental space for offices, I'm not sure that'll get hurt too much. It does depend, of course, on how those uh, those companies that are renting that space do uh, uh, with their with their overall business. And so to the extent there's an economic recession or or continued weakness in certain areas, you might see them get impacted there. Um, the other area that might get impacted um, from real estate is, is in the retail side. Um, so think about large stores that take up a lot of space, um, you know, maybe not needing that much space anymore. And and uh, and although they'll be able to continue their operations, um, just having less people in their stores or, or, or if it's a restaurant or whatever the case may be, um, you know, you're not going to be able to have, again, as many people in there. And, and if you're only serving a takeout function... You really only need to take up a small space and so that retail element i think could be uh could be some headwinds there on the other side residential has actually been very strong uh, both in canada and the us and so residential REITs we think will will still be will, will still be very strong um, as well as industrial REITs where that industrial production um, is going to continue and, and we've already seen that bounce back significantly as well so you know each of those areas i've mentioned are, are about a similar exposure in ZRE, and so you'll have some good, some bad, to your point, kind of getting pulled in all directions. Um, you know, the attractive thing here, obviously, is that there is still a very high distribution being paid out of this fund, about 5.8% right now. Um, and so, again, as this plays out over the next year to two years, uh, in terms of the winners and losers um, uh, coming out of, uh, of, of the recession or out of the economic bottom, Um, you you do get a nice distribution out of this. Um, A lot of people still concerned long-term about inflation and and all the money printing that's going on. Of course, real estate gives you a nice hedge against that as well. And so there are a couple of factors working against uh, real estate in general, but a couple more working in favor. And again, I always like having that nice distribution um, for for an investment so that I know I'm actually getting something back even while I'm waiting for the the growth thesis to, to play out.
2: Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Certainly getting a lot of questions on REITs and ZRE these days. So at this point, I would like to check if there are questions on the line for either Chris or Matt. Hi. Good morning. Thank you for another very insightful call, guys. Um, My question this morning is uh, in regards to the Canadian banks and the Equal Weight Canadian Bank ETF ZEB. Can you share some insights on what has been driving some of the banks versus others to recover from uh, you know, the lows at the end of March up until today? And also, if you could share a little bit more around how the banks may be positioned to perform individually through the second half of uh, the year. What I'm really curious to try to understand more around is your opinion at some banks are better positioned to perform more strongly uh, as a result of differing lines of business and geographical business exposures. Thank you for your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I can take that one. And, and certainly, we have seen um, you know some some difference in performance across the big six. Uh, you know, going going down in March, and then of course recovering as well. Um, and you know a lot of it has to do with loan loss provisions um and the, the the look uh of their of their loan book as you know it's expected that we'll see a lot of defaults um potentially over the second half of the year there 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 were a couple you know in the, in the second quarter but potentially uh, as time goes on if if the economic recovery does not really take hold um certain certain uh, banks could be ex- uh, more exposed than others um, to, to some of these loan losses. And so to that extent, you've seen um, some banks being punished a bit more than others. In particular, uh, for Canada, uh, investors are always concerned about the, the exposure to the energy patch. Um, and of course, the troubles uh, with with uh, the oil patch earlier in the year with the oil price being as low as it was. You know, we've seen some recovery there, of course, and um, some expect that to continue uh, going forward. And so I, I think there's, the extent you believe that recovery is happening, you know, are you comfortable with the loan loss provisions that have already been set aside, uh, and with you know the the bank's different exposure to uh, what their loan books look like? Uh, the second part of your question is, you know, the, the regional exposure, and you know, some of these banks, of course, have exposure into different parts of the U.S. as well, and so how that's going to play out, um, and you know, I think. Uh, even the U.S. itself is pretty regional and we, we've seen through the different outbreaks um, of COVID in the U.S. that it is very regional in terms of what's gonna happen going forward, uh, how soon different economies or different parts of the, the country are gonna be able to open up and resume business, um, I think is gonna be very different. So you can't just say, well, th- this bank has exposure to the U.S. and so does this one, therefore they'll, they'll both be okay or they'll both be dragged down. I think it really depends on what part um, of the US they have exposure to. And then as well, you sort of have to make an estimation as to um, how that region is going to uh, going to play out going forward. Um, you know again, being in the ETF business, we, we really do like to um, point out the fact that you know it is hard to pick between these winners. We do like uh, um, suggesting ZEB as an exposure to Canadian banks in general that way you do get exposure to all of them um you know the, the good and the bad and uh, again it's, it's kind of hard to discern um especially with the unpredictable nature of what we're going through right now um which of these might be a winner um versus versus the others over the over the short term and so i would say you know what's your what's your view on banks in general do you think they're due for a nice snapback rally um if if you do go with ZEB. If you think it might take a little bit longer, take a look at ZWB. That'll give you less growth but more uh, cash flow through those auction premiums that we use, um, that that we uh, earned through the auction writing program on ZWB. So that's kind of how we like to look at it. Um, bullish banks, ZEB, a little less bullish. Maybe take a look at ZWB and, and earn a little bit more income there.
4: Uh, My question today is on ZPR. That's the BMO Laddered Preferred Share ETF. Uh, Gentlemen, yesterday, BMO Capital Markets put out a high conviction note to buy ZPR as a trade idea. The thesis being that limited recourse capital notes uh, that were rolled out last week, we could potentially see the big six banks here redeem their legacy preferred shares uh, in these new AT1 capital bonds. So my question being today, why now? And is the market still reacting, or is it settling in here? Um, you know, why why should investors be looking at this right now? Please, thank you.
3: Sure, I can take that one. Um, so yeah, we've definitely seen since the the launch of the first AT1 node by RBC um, that ZPR has had very strong performance, close to eight percent rally since uh, since the announcement or the approval by Offswee for the AT1 notes. Um, And I do expect that this is both a short-term and mid-term opportunity for preferred shares, especially rate reset preferred shares in Canada. Um, Due to the success that we saw with RBC and the AT1 uh, structure, we do expect the other banks to follow suit um, and issue their own um, notes for the remainder of 2020 and then going into 2021. Uh, the reason I do think it is more of a midterm opportunity is that OSFI, OSFI has put on um, limitations as to how much of the AT1 um, note structure can be issued on an annual basis with an expectation that they, sh- they would increase that limit um, as the years go by. So I do think that this is going to put is um, a, a positive momentum into the preferred share market and be a little bit of a um, safety net that kind of pushes prices up uh, over the next six to twelve to eighteen months as banks continue to issue the structure, um, likely issuing the structure uh, to the maximum of their ability uh, that OCF allows, uh, which would basically have this you know eighteen month uh, period where we are starting to see or potentially could see higher rate reset preferred shares issued by the banks, um, which would be, let's call it conservatively, but 15% of the portfolio could be looked to be um, redeemed over the next one, two, three years. So I do think that that puts a midterm positive pressure on uh, preferred shares. And then I think there's definitely upside there in, in ZPR. As well, when looking to the midterm, I think ZPR is a perfect way to uh, play the rising interest rate environment. So, as I said before, you know we expect rates to be low for you know uh, a, a minimum now, another 12 months. But if you look at 18 months, two years in the future, you would expect that uh, our interest rates would go up from these historic lows. No better way to play a rising rate environment where, versus, than uh, ZPR that would benefit from a uh, increase in the five years. So I think there's two factors there that, that make ZPR right now a very solid midterm play um, when you're looking at the fundamentals of the preferred share market and how that may change over the next you know, one to two years.
4: Really appreciate your insight there and thank you for a great response.
2: With that, I would like to conclude the call. So be well, be safe, uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you once again for listening in.
1: Thank you to Mark Race, Chris McKinney, and Matt Montemuro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today we heard valuable strategies for investing in U.S. tech giants, gold equities, and bonds across the yield curve. Matt also mentioned BMO's asset allocation ETFs, such as the BMO Conservative ETF, ticker ZCON, Z-C-O-N, as a non-traditional option for accessing fixed income in this low-rate environment. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, please see the episode notes below, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit bmoetfs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at bmo.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the Portfolio Manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.